Welcome back to a new episode of Africa's a Country Talk, or in short, um, AIC Talk. Uh, my name is Sean Jacobs, um, and I'm streaming from Brooklyn in New York City. And with me is Will Shoki. He's in Johannesburg. Uh, we are the co-presenters of this Africa's a Country's weekly discussion and interview show. This is episode 18. I can't believe we've... We're, we're, we've in South Africa, they give you a key when you turn some in some cultures when you turn 21 so we're waiting with a key that we're going to get when we get like three more <laughs> in any case our producer is uh, Antoinette Engel uh, she's in Cape Town South Africa and if you missed our last episode first of all shame on you but uh, we we basically had Abraham T. Zera and Aya Sayed on the show to talk to us about African migration to the United States. Abraham is a U.S.-based Eritrean, exiled writer and journalist, and Aya is a Bertha Justice Fellow at the Center for Constitutional Rights, challenging unlawful detentions, counterterrorism practices, and the criminalization of dissent. You can watch clips of that show on our YouTube channel and the whole thing on our Patreon, along with all of the other episodes from our archive. So please, please, please subscribe to our Patreon and catch all of those episodes. Yes, we need, we need the subscribers. Uh, we have a great show for you today. We want to talk about the interrelationship between hip hop and politics, or what some people, I think Fela called it politics. Uh, first, we're going to be joined by American culture professor Suad Abdul Karim, who wrote a post on Africa as a country last week titled uh, The Hip Hop President about why some rappers fell for Donald Trump's stick. Then we're joined by ethnomusicologist Warwick Moses, who has done research on hip hop in Cape Town, South Africa. And he'll be along with the photographer and musician, uh, Chaliso Monaheng, who has an extensive knowledge of hip hop in the Southern African region. In the latter cases, in both the cases, we want to talk about, particularly with the last two, we want to talk about how on the African continent, political parties co-op rappers for their agendas, while at the same time, movements like Fees Must Fall in South Africa, People Power in Uganda, or NSARS in Nigeria have shown us that hip-hop is at the head of movements um, that try to make leaders more accountable and, and by which people dream of other more humane uh, political futures. But first up, well, as we usually do, we spend at least a couple of minutes just quickly talking about things uh, that's on the website or that's that, that are swirling in the world. And the first thing that I, I want to I wanna jump in first, because I know you have something to say about a conflict happening on the African continent, which people might wondering, might wonder why we're not covering it. Uh, but the first one is I would, I would recommend that people go check out a post that's at the top of the site today and written by Gene Allman. Uh, Gene was uh, the president of the African Studies Association. That's the largest African Studies Association globally uh, in uh, 2018. And that association is 63 years old. It is a it's, it's very powerful association. And two years ago, uh, as uh, Jean was concluding her time as the president of the ASA, uh, she delivered her presidential lecture and hers was entitled, Herskovich Must Fall, in reference to a figure, Melville Herskovich, who was a very prominent figure in African studies in the beginnings of formal African studies in the US. Because remember, African studies as it developed is an American thing. Um, and she gave this paper, a meditation on whiteness, African studies, and the unfinished business of 1968. 1968 is when a group of black, uh, mostly African-American um, members of the ASA walked out of the ASA because of the ASA's perceived collaboration with US imperial power uh, and, and some of the racism that was, that was very endemic at that time already 
uh, within the ASA. So what what uh, um, Jean wrote today on, on Africa as a country is, quote, for those white scholars like me, this now might be the moment for enacting a kind of personal academic reparation. Don't just move the furniture around to make extra room. Step aside, which is quite a powerful piece. I really want to recommend it. The ASA happens to meet this week, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. It's all on Zoom. But this is like the big meeting of, of African studies scholars. And I think it's an opportune time for people to revisit this question uh, that was that was swirling around for like, that has been swirling around, I would say, for the last two years. I would also recommend reading the uh, one of the recent issues of the ASA's journal called the African Studies Review, carried a, an editorial by its uh, editorial board saying basically maybe it's high time that we also look at like who runs that journal. In the history of that journal, they've never had a black editor, whether that editor is African-American or that editor is, an, is somebody from the continent. So this is, a, this is an interesting moment for the ASA, and, and I'd recommend that people look at that debate, especially people who are scholars of African studies. Well, you have something quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, first of all, I just want to say, I mean, the, the Jean Ullman lecture and the, the article she wrote, I think, is, is, is something people should check out. Because I'm sure a lot of people hear about the African Studies Association, be like, oh, that sounds like an interesting organization. Then they hear that it's based in the, the United States, and then they're like, huh? Why is the African Studies Association based in the United States? So if you want to find out more about the crazy world of, of academia, then, then be sure to check that out. But I wanted to make a, a quick comment on, on what's happening in Ethiopia, which, I mean, first of all, the disclaimer is that I'm not an expert on Ethiopia. I'm like any lay person trying to read as much and educate myself to understand what's going on because it's very complicated. And something that I'm, I only really started to appreciate this year um, because earlier in the year, there was a prominent Ethiopian musician uh, who's from the Oromo uh, ethno-linguistic group called Hachalu Hundesa. And after he was assassinated and that sparked a lot of political strife, uh, I, I sort of had to have a moment with myself when I, I kind of realized that I think there's this sort of caricature of Ethiopia on the continent as being this peaceful nation without much internal tensions and 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 conflict and i think that a lot of its a lot of its complicated politics gets pushed aside as people are unwilling to kind of grapple with how ethiopia is as complicated as every other nation in the world and i think a lot of this recent stuff also got pushed aside in in the week of the american election but basically if, if people are trying to understand what's what's happening. Um, the Ethiopian president, Abiy Ahmed, announced that they would be launching a, a military operation into the region of Tigray in, in northern Ethiopia. This is after the accusation that uh, the, the Tigray People's Liberation Front uh, had tried to attack a government military base and steal some weapons. So this is obviously massive because you hardly hear of a government launching a military operation in its own borders uh, against one of its coalition partners. But this is what happened in, in November. And and basically it's startling because Abiy Ahmed won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2018 because when he came to power, one of his biggest reform tickets was trying to overcome a lot of these ethnic tensions and divisions in Ethiopia, trying to usher in this new era 
of of pan-Ethiopianism, one could say, trying to rise above a lot of the, the, the ethnic strife that plagues the country. So this was quite startling to see. And, and the, the proximate cause of this is that in, in 2019, actually, the main governing coalition of Ethiopia, um, which included the Tigray People's Liberation Front, um, was reconstituted as a, as a political party, as a prosperity party. And basically the idea was that rather than having um, all of these different groups as part of this coalition representing different ethnic interests, there could be this unified party. And that didn't sit well with the, the TPLF. And then this year, when there were supposed to be elections that happened, those elections were postponed indefinitely due to COVID-19. But uh, in Tigray, they decided to go on with their own regional elections, basically flouting the government instructions. So a lot of these, to give, I mean, to give the short story, a lot of these simmering tensions that have been bubbling under the surface ever since Ethiopia uh, moved past its, its military junta in, 1987, in 1987. People remember Heli Selassie was emperor. He was, he was overthrown in, in 1974 and a military dictatorship was put into place. And that ended in 1988. And basically Ethiopia was reconstituted as this confederation basically with 10 semi-autonomous regions that reflected the, the ethnic distribution of the country. And, and ever since then, there's still been a deferral of the national question, this question of how does Ethiopia exist as this nation which is, doesn't have a people, but as a nation of, of different peoples. Um, and, and so that's really coming to the fore in, in this conflict that's, that's, that's breaking out uh, over the last couple of weeks, but it's super complicated. We're going to have some pieces on the sites. They're going to help people understand the long history of this, looking past sort of these last two weeks and the immediate circumstances which caused the conflict because it's a, it's a really fascinating history that I think that gets oversimplified in mainstream representations. And I've, I've fallen victim to that. So it's good to, to try and understand exactly how Ethiopia got to where it is today. And I think the one, the one big piece, which I'm, I'm sort of, trying to get onto my, my notes here. But one of the pieces we definitely plan to run this week is by two, um, one an Ethiopian social scientist and the other one is a historian. Um, uh, I had it on my computer here in a minute. It's gonna come up, Solon, um, uh, Solon Fiyisa and Simelis Kene, which is actually very good. We're gonna title it like the war of the narratives. Um, and yeah, it, we look forward to probably that because you can see like where where the politics, how do we get to this point? Because there's all these different kind of narratives of who controls the nationalist uh, narrative of, of Ethiopia. But in any case, um, uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, on our website, Africa is a Country. All our work is published under Creative Commons license. Uh, so feel free to repost it. Also remember, if you have questions um, uh, for our guests, Please put them in the chat on Facebook, YouTube, or in the thread of the live stream. So to get to today's program, uh, last week we ran an article by Suad Abdul Kabir, who's an assistant professor of American culture at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And what she wrote last week on AIAC, and you can check her, out her article, is that what we learned about hip hop this election season is how it and the black political mainstream more broadly continues to have hope in the promises of American capitalism. And Suad also happens to have a book written on the subject, which is called Muslim Cool, Race, Religion, and Hip Hop in the United States. So first of all, Suad, thank you so much for, 
for joining us today. Uh, if we can bring her on screen. Uh, there we go, there she is. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, brilliant article. And to get straight into to discussing some of the themes that addresses before the elections, a couple of prominent rappers supported Trump or they gave him endorsements for the programs he announced. And it's a long list that I think surprised a lot of people. Kanye West, whom we've known supported Trump since 2018, uh, but then Lil Wayne came out in support of Trump and that was surprising to a lot of people. And then Ice Cube also came out supporting Trump. And that was surprising to even more people. So yeah, what should we make of this? What does this all mean? Right. So one correction, I'm an associate professor, so, and that matters, right? So, like, okay, I'm like, you know, that tenure, you know, black tenure professor. Okay, great. All right, no, but uh, for real, but I think, so one, I would say, like Cube would say he didn't support Trump, right? Cube would say that he made this contract for black America, that he presented to both of the political parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, and the Republicans to come up on it. I think that's what he would say, right? Um, that said, I think I think there are two things that, that are going on for me. So one is about class, right? Mm -hmm. I think you know, hip hop, you know, started out right as a musical cultural expression, right, of African descended people from the American South, from the Caribbean, from Latin America, right? Um, and it was a it was like working class, working folks music, right? Um, but like everything we create and we produce in this world, at least in the modern world, it becomes a commodity, right? It becomes something that's really valuable and can be bought and sold. And so when that happens, then hip hop also creates its own like moguls, right? Its own people who are really making a lot of money, um, getting a lot of wealth through the capitalist system, right? The same system that initially they were sort of coming up against, right? So I think the first thing is, and I think we, we saw this with, um, uh, 50 Cent, even though he eventually was like backtracked, he's like, yo, I'm not trying to fail those taxes, you know, right? So it was like, so his class interest, right, kind of superseded what we would ex expect from a hip hop artist, right? Um, but I think the second thing is too, is like, you know, there's this question of like, I think hip hop is always, like I said in an article, like hip hop has always been oppositional, right? Sort of going against the grain, but it's also always kind of been about money, power and respect, right? And I think Ice Cube in particular is interesting because I think Cube is trying to say, you know, well, I, he's the president, he has the power, so that's who I should be talking to, right? Um, but then folks are like, yeah, but he's the president and he's also a liar, right? <laughs> he's the president, he's also a racist, right? He's a, yeah, so it's like, you know, but I think, but I think if you're thinking, of it, but I think in a kind of really kind of crass, maybe like real politic kind of way, there is a little bit of sense to what I think, you know, Cube was trying to say, but it doesn't really make sense when you look, I think, a little bit deeper. And so I think there's this kind of thing about wanting to have power, right? Wanting to be aligned with power um, for yourself personally. And I think even, I think, for Black folks, like, what do we, like, because I think the question I was really trying to consider was like, you know, what does it mean to have power and wealth, right? Particularly, like, and I'm in a U.S. context, like, what does it mean to actually have that? Um, and when we have that, like, can we get that? Without reproducing the same, you know, systems that we're that are always against us, you know. So I think those are the things that I was, um, you know, trying to think through uh, in the piece. So, so how do you then? How do you interpret, say, somebody like Kanye West? So Kanye is interesting. I mean, I think it's interesting too because I think initially, and for the most part, I feel like Kanye's um, 
support of Trump has been ridiculed. I don't think people actually take it very seriously. I think, I think people, I think there's a question and I don't, and I think of course we, we shouldn't like, you know, mental illness is one of the things that comes up. Of course, people have all kinds of mental illnesses and they don't do, you know, things like that. But I think this idea of there's some sort of instability is really, I think, what's been chalked up to in some ways for Kanye. That said, I think, you know, um, I think it's still something we contend with, right? Because he's really popular. Um, he he does influence parts of our community. And so it's like, we still got to contend with it. And so I think with Kanye sort of putting all the like aspersion towards his, you know, mental stability aside, I think it's similarly. I think there's a question of like access to power. I think that, you know, you see, because and, and one of the things that I was trying to say too in the piece is like, we, um, people got really up in arms about Kanye and Trump, right? But nobody was really upset about like Jay-Z and Obama, right? And, you know, I mean, in some ways the, the logic is the same, right? Like Obama is in power. And I think, you know, Obama for us, particularly here in the US, you know, him being a black person, you know, created created a kind of, you know, an affinity, right? Like that maybe he's really for us, right? But like I said in the piece too, right? But Obama also, right, put Asada Shakur on the top of the FBI's most wanted list, right? So I think, again, so for me, it's not so much about Democrats or Republicans, if you support Trump or you don't, I think it's about really sort of asking serious questions about what does it mean, right, for us, like for hip hop music, hip hop communities, black folks, like if we're looking, if we're engaging in this political system, right, how do we engage in political systems in ways that don't just reproduce them? How do we engage in ways that actually can break up Right, the stuff that's holding us back. Because the reality is, like, everybody can't be Jay Z. Like, it don't work like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and like Jay Z only can be Jay Z because everybody else can't be Jay Z. It's similar to Donald Trump, right? Mm-hmm. All the people who support him is like, dude, that's not gonna happen to you, right? Like, Trump is Trump because you ain't Trump, right? Like, that's yeah. how this works. And so I feel like, so then I feel like it's like really thinking about, okay, let's put aside like the partisan part of it because I don't think that is that important. Yes, I, I'm personally, yes, I think Trump was dangerous in a very particular kind of way. And I think he needs to be removed. That said, you know, we don't want to fall into a place where we're kind of like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. You know, he's gone. Now we have these other people. We have like Biden and Harris and now everything's going to be okay. No, it's not going to be okay, right? We're going to, you know, black people are still being killed by police. You know, Black people are still being incarcerated by higher rates. People are still um, facing job discrimination, unemployment, you know, all these things are still happening. And so I think that, for me, I'm just thinking like, you know, you can't, like, it's not like one of the other things that I'll, I'll say briefly, like when I looked at the contract of black America, there was this real, this huge emphasis on like financial empowerment, right? On like loans and you know, access to wealth, right? Which on the face of it is okay, right? But then it's like, like, you know, we don't like, you know, if we get more black, more black millionaires is not going to change the condition of all black people, right? So we need, we need new ways of thinking that kind of redistribute the wealth, right? That give people actual access to that. And what that means, and I think this is the struggle, because even, you know, like I was thinking about this, you know, I'm an associate professor, I made that big point, right? <laughs> so I'm an associate professor. And so, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn in a single parent household, right? Now I like, I'm renting, but like a whole house, you know, <laughs> like a whole house, right? And so it's kind of like, so so there's, so I have access, right, to more wealth than I ever had growing up, right? And I recognize that, that that's nice, right? But at the same time, 
you know, if I really want to see liberation, if I really want to see true equity, I also will have to make sacrifices, right? I think we're all going to have to make sacrifices so that so that everyone actually has enough because there actually is enough. Not enough for everyone to be billionaires, but there's enough for everyone to have, right? And to not be like living on the edge in a pandemic. You know what I mean? The way people just, most of us are living on the edge, one step away from sort of disaster, right? And so I think for me, it's just like thinking about, okay, so we talk about hip hop and we talk about our interest in money and power and respect. I think we need to re-examine that. And I think, and that's the cool thing about hip hop, I think. I think hip hop is always providing a space for that. I just think mm. we need to sort of really open that space and really dig deeper into it. So, so here's a question. One thing, two, it's sort of related. The one is like, did any of that stuff matter? All the, you know, whether one wants to call it an endorsement or uh, Ice Cube, whether he's not endorsing or not, but by appearing on a platform or saying he's giving Trump a hearing because Trump, it means I have access to power. Did any of that matter? That's the first, that's sort of the general part of it. And then I think there was a there was a discussion that Trump did increase his vote among African Americans. So it was there again very marginally because I think nine out of ten African Americans still voted Democrat. But he did. Right. He, he, he still made a. He, he still it still grew a little bit. So did did what these artists did? Did this have any mm. effect? Or mm. was this is this uh, the result of something else? Like is there some mm. other that you think played into because there's a ton of other stuff swirling around like you mentioned you know trump kind of preaches well the contract preaches this kind of empowerment idea loans access to businesses and in your piece you talk about there's a real belief in american capitalism even as, as transformative so mm -hmm. is, is it is it the rappers or is it something else and then there's conspiracy theories and so on so what other thing <laughs> If, if it's the rappers, is it the rappers? If it's not the rappers, what are these other things that you think that make, right. I think black men particularly. Right, yeah, I think, so one, I think it's important, like you mentioned that, yes. Like I think it was something like, um, I think he got, he went from 8% maybe to 12% of the mm -hmm. black vote, I think in this election season. But like 12% is not a lot, right? So, you know, so we just, so it's like, it's notable, but it's not, you know. It's not as much as white woman sticking right. with him or. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. That said, I don't think the rappers cause it. I think, you know, I think hip hop, you know, is a cultural phenomenon. It comes from the culture. So I think in a lot of ways, you know, I mean, I mean, it was, it's a symbiotic thing. Right. But I think generally, no, I think they are reflecting, right, a particular kind of perspective that does exist in the community. And I think that perspective is fueled not so much by, I think people are able to ignore things that are sort of distasteful, right, to them if they feel like these broader goals, right, of economic um, ascendancy, of even some economic independence, right? I think if those are possible, it's like, well, that's okay. We got friends know how, right? Neither one of these folks is my friend, right? So if this person is gonna give it to me, let me do that. I mean, I, on the gender piece, I feel like, you know, I think that a lot has been written about that. I will say that I do think that I found something very gendered about the support. So like one of the things that was interesting to me was like I, when I was thinking about this piece, I was thinking, so you have Ice Cube and Lil Wayne, and I think 50 Cent I talked about. But then I was thinking about someone like Cardi B and also someone like Chicago's No Name, who are right. both right. you know Black women, MCs, really articulate and outspoken about their political beliefs. But none of them, they don't present themselves as leaders, right? Like they don't mm -hmm. sort of, like No Name started a book club, right? Which is really about helping people become their own leaders, right? Through sort of education and exchange, right? 
I feel like even Cardi B, who's like had face to faces with like Sanders and with um, uh, Biden, like, you know, when I was looking at her, at her stuff, she's like, you know, asking her followers, well, what, should, what kind of questions should I ask, right? Like she clearly has a, she clearly had a particular kind of like opinion, but it felt much more sort of community driven as opposed to like, here, I've created something. This is the thing. If you don't like it, it's because you're whack. Right, which is kind of like, which is kind of like you know the mode that, or like you know I'm gonna I'm gonna go out here and I'm gonna do what I think is best for Black people without actually consulting Black people, you know. So I think there is something gendered about that, um, and I think and and I think that goes along with you know the patriarchy and the capitalism go together, right? That you know they're, they're two peas in the pod. So I think so I do think um, that sort of the, these these MCs who are like supporting Trump or working with Trump are reflecting, right, the ways in which, right, of a particular sense, what power looks like and what wealth looks like, what right? What it means to be a man. What it means to be right. a man. And what it means to be a man. Like, I think those things are intertwined. And so we also see that kind of reflected too. But like, as I, I don't think they started. I think they kind of reflect. And then they may add some fuel, right, <laughs> to a particular kind of fire. But I think now what's important, I think, is really to open up a space for us to kind of actually, you know, talk about this and figure it out, right? Like, you know, like what is happening and and how can we as communities, you know, in the US, but also throughout the diaspora, really sort of sort of rethink and sort of coordinate better with ourselves and with each other to, to really sort of address because, you know, we've been dealing with, what's this, like 1492 or whatever? <laughs> That's one of the days we've been talking about this, right? So we've been dealing with this stuff for a really long time. And I think hip hop, you know, like uh, hip hop, like I'm saying, opening up this space for the conversation. So you have folks who were doing that and then you have folks who worked, right? And then you have all kinds, so and, and all the folks in between. And so I think what would be dope to see, and I, I'm happy that we're having this conversation, is like to kind of, let's talk about it then, all right? You know what I mean? Is this what we want? Like, you know, is like getting a bunch of people small business loans sufficient? Not that it can't happen, but is it sufficient? And what kind of work practices are happening in these small businesses, right? And how are we supporting the small businesses, right? And, you know, and where is there, I don't know, like, because there's these bigger questions of like, where's the stuff people getting coming from? Like, I know some black businesses where they're very particular about that. So they think about, you know, where their products are coming from, how they're paying their people, you know what I mean? And so they're very, so like, their politics are aligned throughout their whole sort of like business enterprise. But there's some other folks out there that's just, you know, trying to get paid. To ask a follow-up question, I'm gonna do my best to try and 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 word this properly. Um, but I think you 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 used a fascinating term earlier on when you spoke about you know the construct of of black America. And uh to, to be provocative for a second, you know, sometimes I wonder if 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 maybe the reason why we end up uh having these conversations repeatedly is that like it's it's about trying to inter interrogate the con the construct of black america in the first place which is to say mm -hmm. that that we we end up thinking of black americans and black people generally as this monolith of whom can have the same political interests and you were talking mm -hmm. about earlier how hip hop stars end up having different class interests and that makes things different for them but then hip-hop as a cultural phenomenon sort of reinforces this idea that black people constitute a cultural group when mm. you know i don't think they do right they're a, they're a racialized mm. group but there's they're not a they're not a cultural group in in, in the way we ordin ordinarily understand mm. a cultural 
to be and i mean that that can be contested but um hip-hop plays this role of 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 raising people to believe that that black people can have those same interests because they quote-unquote constitute constitute a people um mm. and, and how do we yeah how do we overcome that to sort of say well they're not this homogenous grouping who who by having these shared experiences for sure end up having the same interests across the board as a result mm. yeah so i feel like you know i'm pan-africanist so i do so i'm so kind of like so i'm like so i feel like you know two things i think you can be a people and be diverse Right. So you can you can you can be a community and you can be diverse. You can have lots of different exchanges in that. I mean, I think I think what what I do think about what you're saying, I think this idea of hip of blackness and, mon and becoming monolithic with hip hop is not so much, I think, a product of sort of hip hop, sort of the cultural phenomenon, but is a product of hip hop, the commodity for sure. Mm -hmm. And so like one of the things I think like, how do you even know something is hip hop, right? Right? Like, and there are these kind of signs and symbols that are easy, that, that, that get sold, right? And I think black, mm -hmm. a particular kind of urban black maleness, right? That becomes, that's what it is. And so everything, so everyone is supposed to look like that, think like that, reflect some part of that, right? Because of this, how this happens. Um, but I think also, I think one of the things about black America, this idea of a black America, which was also part of the, the kind of what I didn't talk too, too directly to, but is also part of what inspired the article was this idea of a mainstream black politics. And I think this idea of a black America, right? That is like a, a Latinx America and an Asian America and a Native America, all these like specific, you know, sort of like discrete cultural groups, right? That have become a part of this multicultural America who have this seat at the table, right? And I think, trying to have a seat at the table um, is a political is a political outlook that I think has um, that emerges after the civil rights movement, right? Where it's like, well, we're going to give you more rights. We're going to give you more inclusion, but without really fundamentally shifting anything in the system that's operating, right? And so then you have folks like, and this is sort of a side note, but like, I don't know if you saw this recently where um, the actress Eva Longoria was like talking about the vote and right. It, she made this point about how like, yeah, black women did something, but really it was the Latinas, <laughs> like whatever, right? And so, you know, she came and she apologized, but like part of the reason why that even construction exists, right, is because we gotta, each of us have to prove, right, how how we belong, how we should be included, because there's not enough for it to go around, right? So even though there's like, there's a seat for you and a seat for you and a seat for you, it's like there's only one right you can't have two you can't have three you can't you can't change anything around and so i think part of the issue around i think about thinking about black america is how black america has become i think in like sort of since the civil rights movement a very national thing in a kind of really small way right so there's only a black america that is only interested in what happens in the contiguous you know, like 48 states maybe alaska and hawaii too you know and everything outside of that is not really relevant or doesn't really matter. And I think that is a danger. And I think that of course go alongs with the, the sort of access to capitalism because this is, the, this is what multicultural inclusion promises you, right? You can be a part of this nation, but only this nation and only in these ways, right? And ultimately this nation in these ways aren't really about, um, really about equity, right? They're, they're, just, they're, they're really about just a, 
a kind of a, a, of a multicolored status quo. And so I think that is when Black America becomes problematic. But I think Black America, however, hasn't always been that way. I think there are plenty of folks in the United States who are Black people, whether they have roots in the South, whether they have roots elsewhere, who see themselves and their faith linked, yes, because of their shared experiences of race, but also because of, because of what those shared experiences of race compel us to think about when it comes to questions of equity, you know, freedom, justice, and equality, right? Those are the kind of things that come up too. So I think that that's my long answer. Before you, you don't have to, you don't have to react to this, but I think it's at least fascinating that the, the question becomes like, how do you, so, so there, there's different kind of views on how people I think approach these questions. One is the sort of, you know, the Afro pessimistic one, which is like, mm -hmm. we damned if we do, we damned if we, <laughs> yeah, we do. Right. <laughs> kind of damned. Well, there's multiple versions of this, I think. Sure. I think then this kind of, I think also people, people, when Ice Cube or Kanye West or Lil Wayne speak up, and, and there's this way, this might be because mass politics was replaced by the kind of spokesperson. Right. And the spokesperson yeah. one time was like Al Sharpton or somebody, and then the spokesperson became a rapper. And the rapper gets all the burden, the rapper also gets a burden, and I, you kind of feel sorry for them. Because mm -hmm. it's, maybe Ice Cube just wants to make bad movies, well, except for Friday, <laughs> Friday series. But he sort of now he's he's there's a requirement that he has to be a leader. Mm -hmm. Not to say whoever just wants to like perform in big arena, mm -hmm. but people are demanding that she must make political statements. And if the political statement comes out clunky, then everybody's upset. Like, why did she go perform at the Super Bowl and make a statement? So so there's these different options, I think. Um for them, I actually maybe this is the, the part I was I've always been fascinated. And for, sadly, he he was murdered. But somebody like Nipsey Hussle mm -hmm. represented for me something that was a lot more sort of organic. I think he understood that he was operating in American capitalism, and that but at the same time he was like, I'd like to control like how I spend my you know how am I going to make my money or what money I put into the business. And he worked with his brother. They came from the streets. They were also at some level they were also immigrants. And mm -hmm. if you listen to him, he was somebody, it, it gave a sense. He had some a lot of like contradictory and often crazy ideas, which we don't want to go into here now. But at the same time, you had a sense that here was somebody who organically at some point, he was forming something. Mm -hmm. he, I just read an article, which we put on the, we put a little excerpt on the website about No Name, who when I think she first, uh, had tweeted something about American capitalism and she was criticized by her fans. And apparently instead of becoming defensive, that's when she said, okay, maybe I should read more. Maybe I should find out more. And I find like, I find like as much as, much as you know, even I, as you said, we, we're sort of, ah, here goes Ice Cube, digging uh, himself deeper. But I, I, I appreciate somebody like, and sadly as I said, he passed away, Nipsey Hussle or No Name, or even Cardi B, that like learning, like kind of like, Figuring it out. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I agree. I would just better at it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll, I would just say, I think, so I think you're right in terms of like this idea of, you, know, you think about in, in the US context, you think about civil rights and more black, black, uh, black power movements, and you had artists and people who were there, but they weren't necessarily the leaders, right? They were folks who were, um, you know, sort of supporting and working in concert. And I think now, sort of with the celebrity culture, people who are celebrities become the people who are supposed to have all the answers, right? And you're right, it's not right. <laughs> That's a lot to carry. At the same time, I think for black artists, I think 
the way black artists become celebrities is by trafficking in like blackness and bringing black cultures to places. So I think there is a particular kind of responsibility, but I think the question is how you how you how you proceed with that, right? I think in terms of like thinking about like do you do you become a spokesperson or do you look for people to support and direct people to? Because that's one also an option, right? I think you're right about Nipsey. I think you know. I wasn't a fan, not a fan. I just I wasn't really listening to his music before he passed, but after he passed, I sort of was investigating. You could see that. And also I think to be honest about the contradiction and the struggle, because it is a struggle. It is a struggle to figure out how to be successful, whatever that means, and not be exploitative, right? <laughs> like that is a struggle. Like there are really no innocent choices, right, in this system. So it is a struggle. And I feel like being honest about that struggle sort of demonstrating how you're sort of kind of working through it, I think it's a much better or much more valuable, maybe the word I'm gonna use, um, contribution, right? That sort of famous folks could make. I'm, 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 I could let you talk all day. You're, you're truly, you're truly associate professor mode right now. And I'm, I'm just absolutely loving Associate you. professor, 10 years. Building. Um, but, uh, I just want to say now that, first of all, thank you so much, uh, Suad, for, for joining us. Um, please stick around if you want to. Um, but uh, right now, we're going to be joined by our next guests, who are Warwick Moses and uh, Celiso Monaheng. And we're going we're gonna to be, be continuing to unpack some of these topics, but looking at, at the African continent specifically. Uh, Warwick Moses received his PhD in African and American studies with a secondary field in ethnomusicology from Harvard University. He's currently a postdoctoral research fellow with the Cypher Hip Hop Interpolation Project at the University College Cork Island. And actually just before the show, we were, we were talking with a lot of puzzlement that there's hip hop in Ireland and maybe we can touch on that for sure. Why are you tired of uh, hearing this? He's kind of tired now of hearing this. He's like, yes. Ireland gave us Robert McBride. Let's just say Ireland, Ireland gave us Robert McBride. Let's just say that. Um, but yeah, Warwick, Warwick is originally from Cape Town, South Africa, uh, and, and hip hop was a subject of his PhD dissertation. And then we also have Tselio Monaheng, who's a writer, filmmaker, photographer, and rapper. Um, wonder if he still is. Hopefully, hopefully so. And he could he could drop the links to the music uh, during the show. But he's he's based in Johannesburg and is originally from Lesotho. And his writing has appeared in print and online. And he's contributed to many publications such as The Guardian, The Fader, Red Bull, Chimurenga, Rolling Stone, and Africa's a Country. And with us, he's been, he contributed extensively between 2011 and 2015. So thank you so much guys for joining us. Um, and, and we appreciate you guys taking on the time. So, so maybe to start in South Africa, um, we've just been talking a lot about America, uh, the, mm -hmm. the remarks that, that Suad was making just now is how in the States, it seems like there's this political expectation that you have to be politically conscious to some degree that there is a responsibility on your shoulders that you play the spokesmanship role for for the black community so in south africa is that the case how how politically conscious or not are south african rappers and musicians generally oh back to me yeah, yeah. i think we're struggling to to get hold of chili so he's back he's coming back anyway go go ahead warrior um, I mean, I think certainly the um, sort of the history of South African hip hop really, um, you know, Prophets of the City, Black Noise, um, 
that's funny cop very politically motivated um and it's and certainly i think that you know with the recent fees must fall um there has been a uh, a kind of uh, a re sort of politicization certainly by like Gigi Lemayne, um, I mean Emil, uh, you know, previously of Black Noise also released the um, um, Eerie's Must Fall, um, featuring a number of um, sort of contemporary MCs. It's difficult, I don't know, from my perspective, it's kind of difficult to see what really happened in between, I think. Um, you know, what was the continuation, what was the trajectory between sort of late 80s, early 90s to um, now a, a sort of contemporary scene. Um, I think, you know, certainly somebody like Youngster with his most recent album, uh, 3T is talking about more of a sort of a cultural nationalism um, as, a, as opposed to really a political sort of uh, political co um, consciousness in the conventional sense. Um, and then on the other hand, we have somebody, um, you know, you have somebody like AKA with his latest release, um, I think Touch My Blood, which very much um, kind of veers to a more kind of, I suppose, black capitalist kind of aesthetic, you know, also kind of asking the question, you know, sort of following on this question of, you know, why, why, why can't I just get mine? You know, why does it have, why do uh, black and brown MCs, and especially in hip hop, have to be sort of spokespe spokespeople for revolution, for, you know, making political statements all, all the time. Um, I mean, I think we need to also just be aware of the fact that there are, you know, a number of subgenres of hip hop, and not all of them are politically motivated. And also, you don't have to be, you don't have to be conventionally, you know, politically oriented all the time. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Again, I'm not sure. But you, you, said, you said something, you, you actually said something, because we were talking about this before the program, Will and I, that, um, and, I and I saw an interview with Youngster where he, where he kind of stayed with you, you know, there's this comment about hip hop when it started out in South Africa. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's also one of the oldest kind of expressions of hip hop on the continent. Yeah. Um, it was explicitly political and it borrowed a lot from uh, some of the themes that particularly themes out of, you know, kind of the, 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 the northeast of the United States. So kind of big mm -hmm. on nationalism. Um, then it sort of veered towards the stuff coming out of NWA. But, you know, the, the, the group that you see on the screen now, Prophet of the City. But at the mm -hmm. same time, it, it very much spoke Prophet of the City in its first couple of albums, spoke directly to the conditions that people were living in. The, yeah. you know, the poverty, how poverty was linked to capitalism, to apartheid. What was, what do you think this, what, I mean, you said like something happened, something happened between that kind of POC, um, uh, black noise. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I think that hip hop was also very regional. It was very yeah. much in, in the Western Cape and in Cape Town. That was probably where hip hop first flowered, if you want. What's mm -hmm. what, what, what it, can we, can you speculate as to why? Because South Africa has like a long history of committed music and music musicians. Yeah. Sure. Like, why is it that this genre that when it arrived in South Africa was very political, um, seemed to there's like a gap, and then when it reemerges, it reemerges as, you know, very much clinging to consumption. With with uh, it, it's tied up in 
in record companies. I mean, this is like a AKA, when you think hip hop in South Africa now, you think AKA, Casper. Yeah, Casper, yeah. You think, you know, and youngsters seen as a sort of weird anomaly from like like a region, from like a sub-region, if you want. He's interesting, he's very, he's, a, he's probably one of South Africa's best MCs, but when you think hip hop in South Africa, you think that it's between these two kind of big egos yeah, that I essentially very much identify with black activism, and I want to make one other quick point that also has is 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 very close to an AKA probably more than Caspa I think um, to the ruling party. Yeah, AKA appeared like at their rallies. He uses his Instagram, his Twitter during an election to promote the ANC. So might it be that that's also part of the story that you have you have rap in South Africa? They they members of the black majority. Mm -hmm. uh, the party that is that 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 sees itself as the representative of the black majority is in government is rhetorically committed it says to their interest so it it seems like yeah it how would you how would you tackle that oh, Taliso, um, yeah, Taliso can also perhaps after you answer it Sorry, Maury. um i mean i think it's an interesting question that you know we've seen you know moving moving sort of further away from south africa and southern africa um sort of co-optation of hip-hop acts in political rallies that kind of idea um i mean certainly uh you know i mean Museveni might be one example uh, you know singing his own songs in sort of re-election campaigns um or you know ali bongo in gabon who i believe flew jay-z out to perform um, during his re-election campaign in 2009. Um, listen, POC, for example, you know, were the progenitors of the style and very much politically active and very much about multilingualism. Their work was banned under apartheid. Um, and I believe they performed at Mandela's inauguration um, in Pretoria. So I don't know if it's that kind of sort of co-optation or the sense that well, um, there isn't a, there isn't really a struggle or a political struggle that sort of amounts to the anti-apartheid movement anymore, you know. Mm. Um, or it might also be, um, I don't know, it might also be a sense that in a um, conventionally sort of, um, yeah, generalized situation of sort of maybe Uganda, maybe um, Ethiopia, Eritrea, um, where there are sort of ethnic conflicts as opposed to racial conflicts, perhaps. Um, maybe that is also what sets these kinds of these kinds of conversations apart. And maybe also kind of sets those conversations apart from the black-white dynamic in, in American hip-hop and American um, political dynamics. Um, yeah, I really can't... Perhaps it is that uh, the fees must fall really was the, the next big political catalyst that um, that sort of occurred in South Africa that attracted that attention, which is also weird again, you know, uh, you know, Ramaphosa's uh, involvement in um, Marikana is sort of, for the most part, I think overlooked in hip hop. Um, and Kandla's for the most part overlooked, I think as, as, as a, as a, um, talking point, perhaps. Um, yeah, I just think that um, sort of after the transition, 
sort of there's this period sort of post 94 up until about 2016 that really there hasn't been a huge a big enough political um situation to, to really comment on yeah because i mean uh, so lisa you wrote in in 2014 uh in an article for africa as a country that that hip-hop didn't scare anyone nor was it likely to incite mass action towards any socioeconomic cause to remain relevant South African hip-hop engaged in ego-boosting PR exercises masquerading as beef. And a year after that, fees must fall and roads must fall happened. So is it still the case or, or is it, as, as, as Warwick is saying just now, that there still is nothing that is politically catalyzing South Africa's hip-hop artists? Uh... Yeah, so for me, it's always tricky to discuss hip hop, you know, because it's so, it's so, um, you know, underground, mainstream. And in terms of at least the scene that I'm connected to, there's always been a sense of continuity and, and, and a sense of, of, I guess, awareness and, and, and responsibility to the greater community um, that, that there's a, that, that you know, rappers have a voice and you need to have that voice. Um, as far as the mainstream goes, man, the mainstream is mainstream. You know, you've got to be down with the ANC, you've got to be down with the liquor brands, you have to, that's just how it is. You know, it's a neo-capitalistic society that we live in and I, I suppose rappers too, find 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 a place where they can fit in into that into that mold yeah but what do you Teresa for you like where do you think where where do you think things changed I mean this is because I think Warwick said I don't know if you were here when he said that like you had this kind of the history of South African hip hop is very political you know explicitly like the lyrics the style the approach like and then suddenly, it, it, if you think hip hop in South Africa, now I know you're saying that different scenes, but that the most visible scene, the one that get exported, the one that appears on Sway or whatever, when those, those people and those people are associated with black capitalism, like but where you've also got someone like Stoby T appearing on Sway, you know, rapping about, you know, what I mean, like it's it's the and that's just the school that I'm coming from. You can't. You can't separate these two things because it's what we are seeing is very reflective of, you know, like you listen to jazz in the 90s, that was cheesy. It was all synths and, you know, talking about freedom and all this nonsense, right? And so for me, like what we should, well, how I like to approach these issues is, you know, as the associate professor earlier was saying, it's like from a social, cultural, uh, perspective, you know what I mean? This is what like people are going through. And hip hop is reflective of that. You know what I mean? And and I think at least I do agree with that point about you know 2050 being catalytic to at least in a hip hop sense, a, a new a new school, so to say. You know what I mean? That was in theory, at least in the rebel sense of it initially led by someone like a Casper Nuvets too, who also came. So what changes is 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 the, the corporate interest. You know what I mean? It, it's pretty much what happened to American hip hop in 
In 94, when Common and, and, and Moose definitely were getting sponsored by, you know, Sprite, when, when the Sprite money started rolling in, you know, and I, I'd go so far as arguing that, you know, in the 80s, like, you know, um, and I've had like actual conversations with, with you know, Falco and, you know, Ricky D and Emil about this. That was just this, the, the, the gist of that era, you know, that, like, that's what, that's what was hit back then, you know what I mean? And, you know, as time changed, time, times changed, like, um, people's, I guess, views change and, and hip hop in turn reflects that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Warwick, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, I mean, um, just want to follow on with that. It's like, um, I don't think there's a lack of consciousness. Um, but there is also, I mean, you know, amongst performers, but I also think that um, there's also a sense that you don't have to, you know, um, always be permitted, promoting conventionally political ideas and aesthetics like that. Um, what's wrong with the idea of a black capitalism? What's wrong with um, the idea of a of sort of a more commoditized um, hip hop aesthetic? And if I may add on to, you know, what, what everyone has put forth so far, like one could argue that, you know, someone like KKA, you know, shouting out, I guess, you know, a POC on a song or like putting on Brady D on a song, that's, you know, uh, not, not a power political move per se, but it is politics. It's his personal politics that somehow extend into, into, into the, you know, the, the, the collective consciousness, so to say, it's sort of pop, pop cultural bite-sized politics, mm. which is, I guess, the zeitgeist, the cultural zeitgeist, and as far as, you know, bite-sized TikTok type Twitter content is, is, is concerned. And, and I guess, like, what, what, what we may surprise the listeners to then research, like, further, it's, it's, um, it poses the challenge for me to, to do the work, as one would say. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah, some fascinating contributions from both of you. Um, and, and the question that I have in my mind now is that it seems to me that there's, on an almost sort of like, I guess, <laughs> metaphysical level, you could put it, there's two ways you could approach this, which is either one, you can sort of, as you guys were just saying, conceive of culture as being reflective of society. And so when culture is produced and it's reflective of society and it's mirroring a lot of the debates and the contradictions of that society, it is engaged in the work of politics. Whether or not it's a chest thumping fist in the in the air revolutionary or someone who is presenting black capitalism as a, yeah. a, an option to the black community, right? So that's the one way of approaching it. But there's also another way where you could also say, and this relates to the conversation that was being had earlier, of how there's so much expectation on mm -hmm. black artists to be these spokespeople. And there's this other way where you could say, um, why don't we just separate the artist from their politics? That in aesthetic production, the artist doesn't necessarily need to be engaged in political work for that artist to be significant and for their work to be significant because to, to, to bring back what, what Suad was saying earlier is that this is not something that you, you see happening with, with, with white artists, I suppose, right? There yeah. isn't the, 
expectation that you have to you have to um ensure that your work is some is political on some level so so yeah in terms of understanding this debate to 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 to, to wrap the question up is is it a matter of all of it is political the personal is political as you were saying Taliso, or should we just separate the art from the politics no separation it's all the same man you know what i mean like it's a slide bro and and you know what what i believe like you know some of the stuff or even all of it that the artists say the stuff that they genuinely believe it's sort of like you know it then becomes a question of balancing livelihood and you know you know being seen as doing something within the community i suppose mm -hmm. but there's no preparation for it at least yeah. mm -hmm. and also it's it's worth it you know for artists to remember that whatever your stand is history remembers we 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 have the receipts and we will remind you that yo you you weren't really down with the movement or what what changed yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think to answer that question, I think, um, you know, hip hop always, regardless of the subgenres that exist and the different kinds of, you know, iterations that exist right now, um, it always started out as this resistive um, medium, right? Um, marginalized uh, people of color, this was, a, this was a forum to articulate their concerns. Um, so, I guess to answer the question why white artists aren't really um, expected in the same way as, as black or brown artists is because like, honestly, white people have never really been oppressed. You know, um, there, is not, there isn't that obligation to speak for your community. Um, there is no obligation to um, exist as an exceptional form of blackness in some kind of way. But, um, you know, that being said, it's like, when do we, when can we get to the point where you can just have, honestly, just black mediocrity, you know, when can you get to the point where you just have people simply living their lives without this kind of obligation? Um, and yeah, I really think we do need to kind of, you know, just kind of focus on the idea of like, what exactly do we mean by political? Like you were saying, William, um, you know, um, is simply representation on, a mainstream stage is is political. Um, gender politics, that's very different from racialized politics. Um, black capitalism is a form of political um, expression, but it's again, it's not in the sense of a conventional political move that is intended to, you know, mobilize a group and, and sort of push for actual change. Um, so yeah, I would agree with Salito. Um, and perhaps they're on the side of saying simply representation is is political, you know. Mm. So to maybe, I mean, to, to wrap up the discussion because we're approaching the top of the hour. Um, who do you guys think are are the African rappers who point to what uh, the American writer Rawia Kamir was saying in an article in Pitchfork that we need we need rappers and artists to push a version of artist activism that is more in line with the collective goals of movement work and should should that actually be the mandate of artists to to sort of to continue the discussion we're having now and and if not i mean so lisa you're talking about how rappers are are are, are playing the game like all of us and they have to balance 
mm-hmm. livelihood as well as political yearning and yeah. and not going the roots of of what Raiwa was saying the pitchfork article how do we then create uh, a praxis that sort of is able to articulate these contradictions in cultural production how do we yeah how do we how do we get people to how do we communicate uh the the nature of 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 artistry and cultural production as being as being ridden of with these contradictions and and enable that perspective to boost or, or rather bolster our our political work yeah and i, I just have something to say to that like for me it's not even about creating as it is about boosting you know you have the all black power station in grandstown who've been doing the work you've got cats in Durban and pe who've been doing the work about got cats in the hood in in Joburg, you know east grand west grand so where to cats who've been doing the work and it's really just about amplifying and and, and you know diversifying the playing field such that uh, there's not this monolithic um I guess view of South African South African hip hop that is only like edited by two egotistical cats yeah. who can't even rap properly. Like you know <laughs> what I mean? It's, it's like yo man, there are better rappers out there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's just and even like about the new kids. Don't forget, man. Like these kids are like very much politically aware, even even if it's not themselves, but like the way that they're moving is a form of itself. The politics of sorts, you know what I mean, and that I I think it's 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 worth it to 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 see how or to interpret it or to create you know um, um, avenues with which to see that you know this is there's a link here from you know you moving from the 80s and the 90s the POCs and the you know the, the black noise and then they coming up to Josie and then they, you know there's a thread there. That, that moves, you know, yep. and it's not even with the rapping movies, it's with the breakdancing, the DJs, it's a whole community, you know what I mean? And I yeah. think like, that, that's also worth it to find. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Before you before you go, Warwick, it's it's almost mm-hmm. as if you if you if you fine-tune the culture, if you fine-tune hip hop itself and the movement, mm-hmm. the policy will follow almost, right? If you master, if we master the the, the production of our hip hop. If we move away from these two sort of, as you were saying, these two cats who can't even yeah. rap, we focus on 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 amplifying the the real talent that is out there yeah. in in creating that healthy culture. The politics mm-hmm. is going to follow. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think it is also really focusing on, which has been a um, a main part of certainly Cape Town hip hop is the um, the sort of the fifth pillar of hip hop, um, uh, which is knowledge of self. You know. Um, knowledge of self, knowledge of history, knowledge of community. Um, and to answer your question, I think um, certainly one MC that's, that sticks out, one African MC, um, South African MC that sticks out that really is following through with that in the contemporary mode is um, uh, Dope St. Jude, I think. Um, and again, Youngster, um, like I mentioned earlier, is really advocating for kind of a, a cultural nationalism. But I think those ideas of self-awareness, uh, self-consciousness are really uh, coming through in those artists' work. Absolutely, yeah. That's 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 the perfect way to, to wrap it up. The return to to rappers and music as 
as a as a site for self-consciousness and self-awareness. Warwick Zeliso, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, another thanks to to Suwad, who joined us earlier, our uh, hopefully resident associate professor. Um, <laughs> you guys have been watching Africa's a Country Talk. And be sure to like, hit subscribe, check out our Patreon and all of the other episodes that we have available. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please tune again next week. And a big thank you to Antoinette Engel, who is our producer in Cape Town. She makes all of this possible. So we're extremely grateful. And thanks from me and a thanks from my co-host, Sean, who actually had to run because he, he has a performance after this. He has a side hustle as a rapper. Um, I'm kidding. That's not why he had to run, but um, he had another, another talk to get to. So you'll see us next week. Thank you once again for tuning in and see you then. Cheers.